Welcome to Sportsman of Colorado, Colorado's premier outdoor radio show heard every Saturday afternoon on KLZ 560 with insights on hunting, fishing, archery, guns, and ammo from Colorado's top outfitters featuring the industry's leading experts on how to enhance your experience in the great outdoors. Now, here's your host, Scott Watley. Welcome to Sportsman Colorado. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, just a quick reminder, you miss our live show here on Saturdays from 1 to 2. You can catch us twice on Sundays, and that's from 8 to 9 a.m. And once again, the evening, 7 to 8 p.m. right here on KLZ 560. You can also catch all of our podcasts on our website, as well as SoundCloud and SoundCloud, and where you may listen to other podcasts. Well, we've got a great show in store for you today, and we're going to kick it off with a new guest. And uh, before we get to our guest... Uh, we'll tell you how we came about this interview. And Amanda Molitor with our friends from Lou Hammond Group um, called us and set this up. And so I twisted Amanda's arm and got her to come in studio to help me. So, Amanda, thanks for coming in. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yes. Um, South Dakota is such an awesome destination for sportsmen, for travelers, for visitors of all kinds. And so we wanted to help share the good news sure. of this awesome fishing destination and more. Um, with all of your listeners, and so we wrangled Nick Harrington, who we came by through the awesome team from Travel South Dakota, the okay. tourism department of South Dakota, and he is here to tell us more about what makes South Dakota such an awesome place to fish um, and some of the other exciting opportunities that abound for travelers that are looking for a destination this summer. Right, absolutely. Well, Nick, hey. Outstanding introduction there. So how are you, sir? Nick Harrington with South Dakota Game Fish and Parks is with us. Nick, thanks for being with us, sir. Thank you guys for having me. No, that was a that was a perfect introduction. I think <laughs> that means I have some big shoes to fill when I got out of that. Uh, well, Nick, tell us a little bit about yourself. How how did you end up with uh, the department there? So I, I, I'm working with Game Fish and Parks because uh, this is what I love to do. I love to fish, um, love to hunt. I actually moved to South Dakota purely for the fishing opportunity. Wow. Um, okay. I, I live in pure dead center of the state. Um, I have Lake Oahe about 20 minutes from my house and Lake Sharp about five minutes from my house. So to say I am a little, uh, little lucky would be probably an understatement. Man, no doubt, for sure. Well, what do you think people, we'll go through all that, you know, you guys have to offer in our time allotted here today, but... What do you think people, as you talk to folks that come there for the first time, just what are some of the comments you hear? You know, I think some of the comments I get is uh, you can really fish however you want. And I think that's what I think that's what makes it special. Mm-hmm. Um, where I'm at on the on the Missouri River, um, you can bottom bounce, you can troll crankbait, you can. Uh, right now, it's prime prime time of year to pitch jig. Um, again, however you like to fish, you get to do that and. In northeast South Dakota, you can cast crankbaits all day long. You can troll cranks. Again, bottom bounce, pitch jigs. I think that's what people like so much about our state is the variety of fisheries we have, the bite that can t- take place year-round, and you really just you really get to pick your techniques and, and fish how you enjoy to it. Sure. Once again, Nick Harrington is our guest with South Dakota Game Fish and Parks. Um, so let's talk about licensings and things like that. I mean, um, just like anywhere else, you got to have a license to fish. So always make sure you have that. But what are the different, um, do you have short-term licenses as well as year long, of course? Yes. So non-resident fishing, you would have your non-resident fishing license, which would be $67. That would fish you all year long. 
Um, our licenses, they go December 15th to January 31 of the following year. So say you wanted to come up right now, um, come up in that April time period, you would still have your license all the way until January 31st of 2024. Oh, wow. Okay. Likewise, we, we have short-term options, too. You could get a one-day license. You could also get a three-day license. Um, one thing I will note is we have a $25 habitat stamp. Where that money goes, if you buy just a fishing license, it's going to go directly into fisheries. It's going to be entirely earmarked for aquatics. If you're going to come up and pheasant hunt as well, your habitat stamp would be split. Um, our terrestrial side, our wildlife side, and then our fishing side. So with that license you have, if you buy the annual or the three-day, you're going to have a, you wouldn't have to buy that license again when you, when you buy your pheasant license in the fall. Sure. And, you know, a lot of times you see things, I know here in Colorado on social media, and people get aggravated about the different, uh, like here a couple years ago, they just came up with a qualifying license that you have to buy, which is a small game license or fishing license. And in order to buy a big game tag. And so, but, you know, when you look at these $25 deals, $10 deals, whatever the case may be, I think everybody just has to understand it takes a lot of money to keep all this going for everybody, doesn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. And, and what we operate is a, it's a user pay, user benefit system. And what that means is when you buy your fishing license, when you buy your hunting license, it goes right back into conservation. Like I said, those, those habitat stamps, if you're just going to fish, it, it's going to that twenty-five dollars will entirely go towards aquatic improvements. It could be a it could be a dock, it could be a dam structure, um, whatever whatever those projects specifically are. Um, but that's that's how we exist. It's it's the North American model. It's the best model for conservation in the world. And and what we put into what we care about is is what we get back. And I think that's what makes it really special to me. All right, good deal. Now, let's talk about the different species of fish that folks, uh, if they're lucky enough to catch some, what are, they, what are they looking at catching there? So, it's no secret, the state fish is a walleye, and that is what most of our anglers are after. I would say probably 90% of the anglers that come to South Dakota, they're specific, specifically focused on walleyes. But we have a wide variety of other options, too. Um, ice fishing, um, the, uh, what we had all winter, that ice fishing bite in northeast South Dakota, it's pretty focused on walleyes, but we also have some awesome yellow perch fishing, too. And you can even catch those perch throughout the summer months up there in northeast South Dakota as well. Um, fall, actually, is probably some of the best perch fishing you can encounter um, without out of the boat, without drilling holes. So great opportunity if you're up there looking to pheasant hunt. We've got shore fishing for walleyes. We've got perch um, out on the Missouri River. Again, it's, it's pretty walleye-focused, but I think people... It's starting to get out more and more now that we've had Bassmaster come twice. Mm-hmm. But we have some spectacular smallmouth bass fishing, especially on Lake Oahe. I mean, as, as someone that fishes Oahe for walleye, I probably catch more master angler smallmouth than I'd like to admit. Um, just because of, that, that tells me I was generally too shallow or I was in the wrong depth. But sure. it's truly a spectacular resource that, that folks don't take advantage of um, or even, I think, know about. So. If you do want some excellent smallmouth bass fishing, we're, we're another great destination. Um, we have salmon on Lake Oahe, too, uh, salmon on the prairie, extremely unique fishery. And then also in, in western South Dakota, closer to Colorado, um, that's going to be pretty, pretty trout-focused. We're going to have, um, whether you're fly fishing, whether you're looking for lakers, you're going to find those trout opportunities, too. Wow. 
Once again, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Sportsman of Colorado. Nick Harrington is our guest for South Dakota Game and Fish. We've also got Amanda Molitor in studio that helped us set up this interview with the Lou Hammond Group. Now, for folks that maybe want to figure out, you know, and, and study some of these areas before they come and, and figure out, you know, what time of year they should come, what bait to use, all that kind of stuff, any good, you know, websites, apps, anything like that that you could recommend for folks? The number one place I would point you right now is our website, gfp.sd.gov. And when you go there, you're going to go to our fish page, and you will see a fisheries report viewer. And what this is is basically all the information we have on every every managed fishery we have. You're going to see um, the catch rates. You're going to see the size structure of fish. You're going to see what the forage is. Um, if we have maps of that lake, we'll have three contour maps right there depending on where you're going. Wow. Um, that's probably the number one resource I would point people towards right there. Um, and, again, that's where you're going to be able to find the nearest boat launch, the nearest state park. Um, we've got a fishing access map, too, that has all our piers, all our docks. Um, you can find our stocking reports, too. So go to our website, gfp.sd.gov, go to that fish tab, and between the fishing access map and our fisheries report viewer, I think you're going to probably find about 85 90% of what you're looking for. And then, like I said, the rest of it comes down to, to how you like the fish, really. Sure. Now, Let's say you got somebody and they want to come up, you know, but they, they don't really know the area and, and they just maybe want to get some help and some guidance and maybe they're looking to hire a guide. Um, mm-hmm. Any tips there that you may give to just say, hey, when you're thinking about selecting a guide, here's just a few things you ought to look at. I mean, I'm sure, I mean, if it's like here, most of the people, you know, 99% are great people, but sometimes there's one in every crowd, so to speak, that's not so great. And I don't expect you to endorse any outfitters, but, I mean, uh, just what are some tips maybe on choosing an outfitter to take you out? You know, I would think um, we have a lot of options here. Again, the Missouri River is a walleye fishing destination, northeast South Dakota, walleye and perch fishing destination. So you have plenty of options if you're looking to go for a guided trip. Um, First place I would point you to would be TravelSouthDakota.com. And we actually list out quite a few guides and outfitters there as well, okay. just as a resource. And so you would have that resource available to you. And then, again, do your homework. Look at the variety of websites. Look at the Facebook pages. Look at the reviews. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's just like planning any other vacation to me. Sure. Um, you're going you're gonna to get most of what you need from those reviews, from what you see. And, and definitely feel... Feel like you have plenty of options because you do. It's kind of my biggest advice, especially if you're going again northeast South Dakota, Missouri River, wherever you want to go. You're going to find a, a variety of options and do your homework and and know that you're going to be able to pick the right one that suits your needs. Right. You know, we're trying to get as many kids and families out together and all that. So if you're looking for a spot maybe to bring the family, maybe you don't have a boat, you know, and you maybe you do yep. some shore fishing, whatever like that. What are maybe a couple of good spots you could mention that maybe just to get the kids going and where they're most likely to try to catch some fish? Absolutely. So we have a wide variety of opportunities when it comes to those those local urban fisheries. Um, our state parks, I would say probably 85% of them sit on a, on a lake that you would be able to go and from shore be able to experience some really good fishing. Um, Missouri River parks are obviously an easy one. Northeast South Dakota, same thing. But most of our state parks, they're going to feature some sort of water body, and those water bodies generally have good fishing. Um, 
again, that fishing access map would have all the piers, all the stocking reports, but maybe you're even just up in South Dakota and, and you're going to be in, say, Rapid City or, or Sioux Falls or Brookings or Watertown for an event, um, a family activity. We have fisheries 10, 15 minutes from town, if that. Really? Um, we'll stock them with bluegill, largemouth bass. If you come in the spring or fall, you also get in on the rainbow trout that we stocked in them as well. Um, again, I always point you to that fishing access map. Mm-hmm. But when you look, we have a we have a special urban fisheries layer, and that's going to really outline those those locations that are are specifically for those exact types of activities. They'll have docks, they'll have piers, they'll be extremely accessible. And whether you're, again, whether you're looking to come and you want to take on the monster that is Lake Oahe, or you want to see a bobber go down a few feet off the dock. I mean, we have that opportunity here. Sure. Hey, that's my speed. Got a bobber (laughs) watching that. (laughs) Sure. Hey, that's the most fun I have fishing and seeing those. I love catching bluegill, too, when I'm not fishing walleye. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Hey, you know, um, we work with some groups. I uh, work with one group called American Heroes in Action, another group called Outdoor Buddies. And sometimes these are some folks that we try to get out that, um, you know, um, well, be honest, they're in wheelchairs or just have issues, you know, getting to certain yep. places with just, uh, you know, maybe some disabilities they may have. So, you know, for maybe folks that, you know, don't have the ability to hike way back or they need wheelchair access, anything like that. Um, what are you guys doing there to kind of help those folks? Absolutely. So that's where those docks come into play. Um, wide variety of our docks are going to be ADA accessible. Um, they're going to be right next to the parking lot. You're going to be able to go down and, again, go down straight to some to some pretty good fisheries and where you'll be able to catch fish right off the dock, too. Um, so, Again, I, I keep pointing people to that fishing access net, but I think that's because I'm on it all the time. Sure. Um, you're going to be able to see those exact locations spelled out, where those piers are, where those docks are, if they're ADA accessible. So you will have those opportunities. Um, one new, unique opportunity I'd point you towards is our outdoor campuses in Rapid City and Sioux Falls. Um, they have action track chairs. And if you haven't oh, heard yeah. about them, those are cool. wheelchairs <laughs> on track. And we currently have an initiative, Operation Mobility, to continue to get more of these tracked wheelchairs out across our state park system, too. So if you're in the Rapid City area right now or the Sioux Falls area, we have track chairs that would be available, too. Free to check out. Um, just contact the outdoor campus when you're out there, too, and you can find all that information on our website, too. Wow, yeah, those track chairs. Uh, matter of fact, I was up in Cheyenne this uh, Saturday at a little sportsman's expo they had up there, and a gentleman I know up there that handles track chairs. And, I mean, those things, I mean, are a, a life, I should say a game changer, but put it more seriously, they're a life changer for those folks that need help and kind of gives them their life back, so to speak, you know, because it's hard for us to understand if we're fortunate enough and blessed with two good legs to be able to walk somewhere. Um, boy, it's easy to take that for granted, isn't it? Absolutely, and and that's really where that's really where this kind of arrives from is being able to make sure that the outdoors are open for everyone and everyone's able to enjoy them. And, and this is one of the the cooler projects that I've got to work on in my career. Absolutely. All right, now these government websites always just have a lot of initials. So all right, it is gfp.sd.gov. So that's gfp.sd.gov uh, for their website and to get to all the information uh, Nick was talking about. And also, hey, check out TravelSouthDakota.com, and there you'll have some great information as well. 
And Nick, you know, of course, fishing is great, but man, you guys offer some great hunting as well and a lot of great species, don't you? Absolutely. Uh, pheasant, pheasant season is, I mean, simply put, South Dakota is the greatest state to pheasant time. I yeah. mean, it, it really is, whether you're looking to, however you want to chase roosters, really, whether it's opening day weekend, whether it's later in the season um, when there's far fewer people out there. That's a little pro tip. Come in the later season and you're going to have quite a few more opportunities for public land. Um, we've, we've got that for you. Um, on top of our hunting opportunities, we have a world-class state park system. I mean, wherever you are looking to stay, bring your camper. Even if you don't have a camper, we have modern lodging options, which are, are more my speed. I don't have a camper, but I like to tow my boat around. Um, and it's all the comforts of home. And it's right there in our state parks. There's literally ones that are about 18 seconds away from the boat ramp. So however you like to get outdoors and however you like to enjoy them, we have something for you. Sure. Now, how, let's run through. We've got a couple of minutes left here. You're on your draw system for big game and all here in Colorado, our, our time is coming up here April 4th. We've got to get our uh, draw um, tags in and all and wait and see if we're lucky enough to draw. But um, how, how does kind of your draw system uh, in a nutshell work, so to speak? Yeah, absolutely. So the biggest draw that um, non-residents folks from Colorado would be would be interested in would probably be our deer draw. And how we have it is we have six major firearm deer seasons, West River, East River, Custer State Park, which that one would be residents only, um, muzzleloader, refuge deer, and then also, um, I'm drawing a blank, uh, we got a special season as well. Um, that one would be June that, we're, that we have those draw deadlines. So mid-June, application will open about mid-May, maybe late May, okay. and then you're going to have three, four weeks to get those applications in. You can submit up to two applications. So you would be able to do um, West River deer and, and Black Hills deer, for example, would be your two applications you could submit. If you're unsuccessful in the first draw, you would be able to submit them again in the second draw. And then as you draw those licenses, once you open up again, it would be the fourth draw that non-residents would be able to apply for those leftover licenses as well. So five total draws, and then the basically the fifth draw is when licenses become first come, first serve. Yeah. I tell you, just a beautiful, beautiful state. If you haven't been there, I hope you will uh, put that on your bucket list and make it happen. Once again, a couple of websites you can check out, TravelSouthDakota.com. And then to get all the details on the hunting, fishing, all that, and um, finding out all the information Nick was talking about, go to their website, and that is gfp.sd.gov. And last thing, Nick, you know, um, and then we'll do this again because, man, there's a lot of great information, and I know we have a lot of folks that uh, come up there as well. But, you know, when it comes to fishing, and since Amanda's here, I'll say this, um, it seems like women catch more fish than men when they go out. Why is that? <laughs> a woman's touch. You know, I was going to say, I think, I think all those people that say the fish don't know, I think they might be a little off. I, I think the fish know. Um, that is, uh, I, I think it's just a, a special, a special touch, a special feeling. I think you're spot on, Amanda. <laughs> I, I, I know I've, I'm pretty good at netting when it comes to that. That's where I'm pretty helpful, but that's about it. Hey, you got to give the woman something, right? <laughs> <laughs> And Nick, you know, that is one growing um, sector of all of our hunting and fishing and, you know, archery to rifle, whatever. Uh, we are seeing a lot more women in the outdoors, aren't we? Absolutely. And it's, and it's awesome to see. And, and when you look at the data, when you look at what folks 
the surveys we have, I think the biggest reason for that growth is the outdoor memories you can make, create out in the field. I mean, sure. There is no better way to spend time with family, spend time with friends, whether it's kids, whether it's um, first dates or just, you know, fishing usually works pretty good for me. Um, I mean, those uh, those memories you can make, those adventures you can have in the field together, it's, it's just a great time to, to spend time with family, friends, or if you need some time alone, it's a great opportunity, too. Absolutely. You know, I think a lot of parents ought to look at that and kind of get over the Disneyland, the Disney worlds, and all of that kind of stuff, and get out and enjoy the great outdoors, and like you said, make memories that I promise you that child will remember way longer than a roller coaster ride. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Well, Nick, hey, man, um, I'm going to keep your info, and I've got my co-host Kevin Flesh, and I will have to make a time to come up there and see you and uh, come up and do some fishing with you and maybe some hunting as well. So, man, we appreciate your time very, very much. And uh, if you're open to it, we'd love to get you back on again here in the next month or so. I would love to be on with you guys. Thank you for having me, and I will come back as long as you let me. How's that sound? All right. That sounds good. All right. Well, Nick, thank you. And, Amanda, again, thank you for setting this up with the Lou Hammond Group. We appreciate it. Thank you so much for having us. You bet. And we look forward to doing this again. You're listening to Sportsman of Colorado. Hey, go to those websites now. Check out South Dakota, TravelSouthDakota.com. And then for the um, main game and fish page there, go to gfp.sd dot g-o-v and uh, once again want to thank them for taking care of i just want to mention that accessibility because that is super super important and a lot of times people feel like you know they can't get out and enjoy the outdoors so folks hey this is a a state that is trying to take care of everyone and give you those lifelong memories there in south dakota you're listening to sportsman of colorado we'll take a quick break and we'll be back with more right after this None of us plan or expect to get stuck, and when you do, the rest of the scenario usually plays out something like this. You're alone, it's late, it's cold, and oh, you have no cell service. No help, no cell service, no problem with Track Grabber. Hey, this is Scott Watley with Sportsman of Colorado Radio. Track Grabber gives you the ability to rescue yourself without having to put yourself at the mercy of a stranger no long waits or hundreds of dollars spent on a tow truck and track grabber is for your car truck atv utv and even commercial vehicles with track grabber in your vehicle you can have peace of mind and feel safe and here's the best part it only takes about 30 seconds to install track grabber on each of your tires and they stay with you as long as it takes to get back to stable terrain so in just a couple of minutes you're back out and on your way Go to trackgrabber.com, that's T-R-A-C grabber.com. Use the promo code KLZ and save 20% on your purchase. Remember, no help, no cell service, no problem with Track Grabber. Get relief from flesh and back. You just got in an accident, so you call the police. You make sure you get a thorough record of the scene. Then after the initial adrenaline wears off, your mind starts to swirl with all the things you need to do. Insurance claims, car repairs, doctor visits, medical bills, on top of the physical pain you're in. Flesh and Beck will give you relief from the financial stress so that you can focus on healing. Call Flesh and Beck immediately after your accident for a free consultation. Then you can rest while they talk to your insurance company. Personal injury attorney Kevin Flesh will relieve your burden of financial worries. All you need to do is call him right now. 303-806-8886. Call Kevin Flesh immediately after your accident and get relief from the financial stress of an injury. 
Fleshenbeck Law. They get results. The Outdoorsman's Attic is Colorado's very own outdoor gear consignment store. From live bait to lanterns, firearms to ammo, packs to sleeping bags, all the fishing gear you could ever hope for. And if you need some decoys for the waterfowl season, stop into the Outdoorsman's Attic. Hey, this is Scott Watley here again for my friends at the Outdoorsman's Attic. And they've got hunting, fishing, and camping gear with huge savings up to 70%. You'll find new and pre-owned items to choose from. And since the inventory changes daily, hey, this is a store you need to stop in at least a couple of times a week. Reviews, here's what a few of their customers have said. Cody says, hey, two floors of pure outdoorsman paradise. Mickey said, I love this place. Great small business, family owned and run, lots to look at and good prices. Amy says, if you need good camping and outdoor gear, go here first. Support a local small business, such great finds. Everyone is so nice and helpful. So save big, get to the Outdoorsman's Attic today on all of your outdoor gear. 2650 West Hamden Avenue in Sheridan. Tell them Scott sent you. Rush to Reason with John Rush. Weekdays from 3 to 7 on KLZ 560. Welcome back to Sportsman of Colorado. Again, thank you so much for joining us. Hope everyone's weekend is going good thus far. Just a quick reminder now, if you miss our live show on Saturdays, 1 to 2, you can catch us twice on Sundays, and that's from 8 to 9 a.m. And once again, the evening, 7 to 8 p.m. right here on KLZ 560. Hey, we've got Randy Carancy in studio, e-bike of Colorado, along with Kevin, uh, one of his faithful employees. So, guys, first of all, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you. Yeah. Doing good. Good to see you, Kevin. And we've also got joining us by phone, uh, Luke Savari. He is the Regional Trail Coordinator, Northeast Region for Colorado Parks and Wildlife. So, Luke, thanks so much for being with us, sir. You're welcome, guys. Thanks for having me on. You bet. All right, Luke, first of all, let me just ask you this. Are, are, and you told me, I think, today you've been there 10, 11 years. So have you seen a big growth of uh, bikes in general on the paths and trails in Colorado? Yeah, Scott, we've seen a large growth of um, of all types of bikes on the trails in Colorado, um, from um, your traditional mountain bikes on a lot of our natural surface trails to um, road bikes on our, our, our urban trails and our state parks, and also um, just the past few years, uh, a large increase in e-bikes across both of those um, trail types. Okay. All right, Randy, um, let's kind of start here because there's – Three different classes of bikes, which we've covered on the show a number of times, but kind of go through what those three classes of bikes are, and then we're going to get Luke to kind of give us some highlights of where they're allowable and where they're not. Right. Okay. So there's the class one, which is a pedal assist only, so you have to pedal the bike to engage the motor. You can ride the bike without having the motor operable just by turning off the, the electronic side of things. That is governed up to 20 miles an hour. So you pedal the bike with it on, and you usually have anywhere from three to um, six levels of assistance. Okay. And so as you pedal at one to six, say, you would get more help, okay, up to 20 miles an hour. That's governed, and it shuts off at 20. A class three, I'm going to skip two for a second. Okay. The class three is exactly the same. You have to pedal the bike to engage the motor. But you can pedal that up to 28 miles an hour, and that gives you, um, uh, at that point, like I said, uh, one through six, or usually it's about four levels, but 
then that way the a motor will engage on pedal assist. You have to pedal the bike to engage the motor. On a class two, you have a throttle or a boost. People refer to them in different um, different ways, and that throttle will only take you up to 20 miles an hour. But you don't have to pedal it. It's it's just it's just a throttle. You can pedal it to engage the motor, and um, you can pedal that usually up to about 25 miles an hour with the pedal assist. Okay. So um, there's there's a lot of um, myths about you know it's a motorcycle. It's 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 this. It's <laughs> it's it's something that it's not, and that is it's just simply a boost. A lot of people like it because if they're on a class two, if they're stuck at a stop sign or on a on an incline of sorts, they can use that throttle to give them a little bit of a boost to get going, and then they start pedaling and it engages the the pedal assist, and then it takes over as a pedal bike and okay. assistance. Yeah. Cool. All right, Luke, kind of give us some overview of just you know uh, bikes in the forest and on you know on, on just the different areas of our state. Yeah, thanks, Scott. And then I just wanted to clarify one thing kind of on Randy's point um, to further define what we have for our e-bikes and um, as far as Colorado Parks and Wildlife goes, um, they have to have fully operable uh, pedals and the, the motors may not exceed 750 watts of power. That, so just, just, you're right, okay. Luke. I, I did leave that out, yes. Uh, can't be anything greater than 750 watts and you definitely have to have pedals. Gotcha. Okay, good. Thank you. Yep. And, and we, we break, um, and I'm just speaking here for Colorado Parks and Wildlife Managed Lands. Of course, um, there's a lot of other different um, landowners in the state when it comes to uh, cities and counties um, and our federal partners, Forest Service and, and BLM as such. But as far as Colorado Parks and Wildlife goes, um, we do allow them on our, on our properties. Um, and we, we break it up kind of based on our, our state parks and our state wildlife areas as is we have some different regulations depending on which one of those properties you're on. So okay. um, if you want to, I can, I can dive in. Sure, absolutely. That. It's, pretty, it's pretty quick. So um, on our state park lands, uh, you can use, um, like Randy described, the Class 1 and the Class 2 e-bikes. You can use those on um, any roadways or, or trails um, where other uh, bikes are currently allowed. Okay. So 1 and 2 can be used on the trails within our in our state parks um, and anywhere that uh, bikes are currently allowed. The class threes in our state parks are regulated only to uh, to designated roadways and the bike lanes lanes along those roadways. So you can't use class three uh, e-bikes on our trails in our state parks. Okay, all right. Do you find people time to time that don't know that information? <laughs> uh, yeah, you know we no. we haven't. We, we haven't had a whole lot of conflict with, with the e-bikes in our state parks. Okay, um, cool. Um, not, not enough to, to really mention here. So, right. Um, now, where do folks go to on your website to find the, the language that covers this? Well, there's a whole long um, web address, of course, but if you just type in CPW and e-bikes into a, a web search, it'll, it'll direct, it. you, okay. direct you right to that page. Yeah. All right. And, of course, so, go ahead. Yeah, and then... That, that kind of covers our state parks. And then, we, of course, you know, we have, um, I'm just taking a stab here, 300 and some state wildlife areas across the state. 
and and those are regulated uh, e-bikes and those properties are regulated a little a little tighter. So um, all three of the the e-bike classes are are not allowed on those those trails in those state wildlife areas. They're only allowed on the the current roadways or and bike lanes along the roadways in those state wildlife areas. So right. a, a lot t- a lot tighter restriction. There are some state wildlife areas that you can operate a traditional. Um, pedal-only mountain bike but um, on the trails, but not, not any e-bikes on the trails in those state wildlife areas. So even if someone, because like Randy said, you know, his models, they've got some that you can turn off the electric part of it. So even if they turn it off and, you know, you see them pedaling, if that bike has the capability to be turned on, that still would not be allowed in the wildlife yep. area? Yep, that's that's our how okay. we interpret that that, that regulation. Okay, that we create, okay. So. Well, that's what I want to get you on, man, where we can get the... The, the real law of things. We want to keep everybody having fun and not, you know, getting in trouble. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And so um, now national forest and things like that and BLM land, and I realize that's not your jurisdiction, so to speak, but just maybe what you understand there. Yeah. So uh, they, both the BLM and the, and the uh, U.S. Forest Service recently within the past five years have uh, drafted documents that have given direction to the, the local um, districts to, to manage e-bikes on their, on their districts. Um, so they're, they're in the process of doing that. The, um, as far as use on Forest Service lands, they're pretty much regulated to, to motorized trails only. So you'll, you'll see e-bikes on a lot of uh, OHV trails or roads in the forest, uh, on the Forest Service lands. The, the BLM has started designating um, a few areas where there's trail systems where you can start using e-bikes in the state of Colorado. Um, a couple that come to mind are um, out wet in the West Slope, the, the North Fruita Desert Trail System has been traditionally um, pedal only, but that's been opened up to e-bikes. And then um, north of Rifle, there's an area called the Grand Hogback. That's uh, a, an, an area that allows uh, e-bikes on their trail system. So they're they're slowly adopting where they see fit after um, doing their um, their analysis uh, e-bikes on some of their trails systems for as far as the national forest and the BLM go. Randy, any questions for? Um, I, I don't have any questions, right? Okay. Maybe Kevin does. You know, I had jotted down. Um, I spend a lot of time up on the BLM uh, in the north part of the state, and. Uh, I've seen and been told that we're not allowed to ride right. uh, e-bikes up there, and so that's what I had that written down as soon as we found out we were going to talk to Luke today. <laughs> uh, you know, even though he was a state person, maybe he would have some insights as to you know what, yeah, what what progress the BLM is making for for e-bikes. Because when you're out there, you don't see it. A lot of times, you don't see anybody. So it's like, <laughs> who's going to stop me from riding my e-bike here? And you see people 